welcome to Booze Cruise. Today, your host is me, Theo A. Knight, joined by Rachel Reynolds. Yes, saying a slightly belated, hey, boo. Hey, boo. I was just enthusiastic, you know. You were eager to go. I like the energy. I will just say, yesterday also got, (laughs) I came up with the term, consensually stabbed. I know from context that this is, in fact, you getting a tattoo, but... (laughs) Yes, the three situations in which that is actually a case. Number one, tattoo. Number two, injections. And number three, the fucking dentist. Yeah, just there's the your, your top tier. But I've got to that point now where the arm is like, oh, there's something happened here and now it's achy, so. Fair enough. Yeah, my, uh, it is a gorgeous tattoo though. Also, it makes me laugh so every now and then I just keep turning to Theo and being like, show me your arm. Yeah, people, I will probably post it on my own personal Instagram, which I will link once the um, second skin film comes off, because that's what they put on your tattoos now, not cling film. But it is a house moving castle combination of the book and the, and the movie. Because remember, you can't just come in and steal people's guitars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just... Anyway. Here's the actual topic of conversation. If you had to choose, would you rather live in a home in a populated area like London or in an isolated spot? London, immediately. (laughs) Sorry, I know there was potentially going to be more debate expected there. I have done a few different sets of circumstances in the places I've lived. And I, I might move out of London one day, but it will be like a when I retire one day. In this economy? (laughs) No, as somebody who moved to London as well from a very small, isolated town, having recently visited it and gone, God, this place is lovely. Fuck, I'm bored. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, see, there's only so far you can walk in a small town. Exactly, that's the thing. There are conversations about how area affects someone's perceptions of events, this is this can happen. I mean, it can happen in London, particularly if you know the history of it. So this brings up the the concept of com, uh, conf, confirmation bias, where people are thinking they see and feel things. It's like if you walk into Greyfriars uh, in Edinburgh, knowing the, the haunted room is surrounding it. It's I think it is very hard for you to accidentally stumble across Greyfriars without the intention of going there. And a lot of people go there because of the reputation that it has. Yeah, it is very much as people say. People go to reportedly haunted houses that have weird events having already occurred and then are shocked when weird events occur when they're there. Or supposed weird events. Yeah, I mean, it's even like there's this really interesting little thing, which this is relevant, it's just not going to sound relevant for a second. This audio that goes around on the internet uh, on occasion where it comes with a list of words and it makes the point of what word you're looking on at on the list greatly impacts what you think the audio is saying, even though it's the same audio every single time. Yeah. So, yeah, what you think you'll go... And and this is... They've also come up with this a little bit in legal cases where it's like they have to be so careful whenever they play audio evidence because if they're like, you will hear this happening, people will hear it even if it's not there. They've done, like, experiments on it where they went, you heard the person say, yes, I shot her, even though it's been factually proven the tape does not have that at all. And they will still have half the witnesses go, yes, I hear that. Yeah. It's it's a phenomena that happens quite regularly. It's something where I am a little bit sceptical when somebody goes to somewhere with the intention of, oh, I'm going 
quote-unquote ghost hunting and things and it's it's when you apply it to particular areas as well because you know when you're going through a woodland in the daylight and you're like oh this is delightful and nice but as soon as the sun sets you're just like this is freaky something's gonna happen you get paranoid because you can't see obviously there aren't that many lights there's a lot of foliage which is blocking your view of things so obviously it's it that it flips a switch of something that's gone from you were comfortable in into this is actually mildly terrifying now when it goes from a cottage in the forest to a cabin in the woods yep <laughs> yes also you may you 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 mentioned a particular word which means that i am required by law to do this phenomena do 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 do, do. <laughs> phenomena do 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 i won't do the That's... whole thing but you said phenomenon so i have to do it Oh dear God! I hope I haven't put it more in the in the script because the problem is, is that's how you describe most of like ghost stuff that happens. I promise, hand to heart, I've done it once. My duty has been done. I'm not going to make us do it every single time, unless you also wanted to do it, in which I open the floor to you. Okay, we have one per episode. This is the each, so that's that's the little gate that we've got there. So I would think that living on a farm would probably be quite freaky as well sometimes because your nearest neighbour isn't going to be that close. So for this, we're going to Wales and we're going to go look at Penniford Farm, which has two Fs and two Ds in it. Just in case you weren't sure it was Welsh. Yeah. Now, I am going to say that there was a BBC documentary recently covering the case called Paranormal, The Girl, The Ghost and the Gravestone by Sean O'Leary. As far as the trailer goes, she does extensive investigation, even interview Dr. Daniels, who was a psychologist present at the height of the hauntings. He has videotapes, like VHS, on his research to support into the supposed haunted farm. This was particularly interesting to this presenter because Sean was is Welsh, if you can tell by her name, and she remembered the case because it was going on when she was growing up. She lived quite near to where it was happening. Now, I managed to watch the series. She's having resources at my disposal to do so. If anyone is interested, it's called Bob Online. You know, a lot of people don't have access. You know, they don't have a TV license or they don't have access to BBC. Yeah. And if we were sponsored, this would be a perfect ad for NordVPN. Yeah. And we all love a haunted house and under the basic, you know, basis of rubbernecking, you want to know all the spooky details. Of course, if you have a TV license or can access the documentary, I would highly recommend doing so. As Sean really poured a lot of energy into making it, I obviously looked into additional information regarding the story, so it won't just be me doing a rehash of Sean's work. Though I will say there's six episodes and I feel like it could have been four for some of the stuff that happens. I'm just like, this could have been a four episode thing, not a six episode thing. It's always awkward, like, sometimes where it's like, they very obviously got commissioned, like, yeah, you get, like, six episodes, and then they go in and do the work, and they're like, oh, shit, it's actually, like, you know, thinner on the ground than we thought, we're gonna have to pad. Now, as most of my research goes, I read up on the area, and it takes place in North Wales, Wales County of Flintshire, near a town called Mould. And yes, I'm not messing with you there. Who would move to a town called Mould? I don't know, who would move to a town called Fingering Ho? It's always Fingering Ho with you. Because it's right now where I used to live. I know, but it's always just quite funny whenever, like, you know, whenever we do the daft names ones, like, I, I may as well just start a little timer as to time till fingering ho. Wait. Wait, phrasing. Oh, 
today in if cut out of context sounds terrible <laughs> so yeah as we've established a lot of places in in england and i'm sure across the world have stupid names and there's a reason behind them this one does have a welsh name which i'm not gonna attempt in case i offend any off chance welsh listeners yes so there is actually had the area has had a very interesting sort of er- um history in the area this is including Norman conquest and getting involved in the War of the Roses. But this was most places in Wales, it has a tense relationship with the English. Um, I, I think we'd be more hard-pressed to find a group that doesn't have a tense relationship with the English. Yeah, we're kind of bastards! Yeah, that too. Give back all the shit in the British Museum! Because like, they've only got like... 12% of it on display in, in the front and the majority of it is just in archives underneath the museum itself. Or in, you know, the bedside drawers of its employees. <gasps> Scandal. If anyone's interested, go read up on that. Yeah. Just to say, it might be a silver lining of that maybe what embarrasses the British Light- the British Museum and, to actually- and the government into giving back all of the shit we've stolen from other cultures. Because our big, very colonial still based argument was oh no you weren't taking care of it um we'll take care of it now we proved well that was a fucking lie (laughs) you have far too much faith (laughs) in that idea yeah true yeah but they know they might need a win schools are now collapsing on top of the students yeah also if anyone's interested go read on that yeah, so an incident in 1869 illustrated this. Wales had an economic boom due to the sheer amount of coal mines they had. And obviously the English weren't going to let them govern the mines themselves. Because mm-hmm. they're a bunch of bastards. So John Young was an assigned English manager. He'd already made himself enemies by banning Welsh being spoken in the mines. It, just, it is just like English gonna English, I swear to God. I can't understand what you're saying, so I'm going to ban this language. On May 17th, he further vanquished any goodwill by announcing to the miners they were receiving a pay cut. Angered by this, the two men wailed on him for a bit and then took him to the police station. I don't know if it was just because they considered him paying their cut unlawful and were like, can he do this? And were taking him to the police station and they were just doing, he's English, just lock him up. Yeah, that is a ballsy move. I'm going to punch this guy in the face and then I'm going to drag him to the police station. Yeah, but if the PlayStation is also a Welsh run, they're probably going to be like, fair. Yeah, no, absolutely. Also, in a local town with local people, so they're all just being like, oh, the dickhead who, bl- who banned Welsh in the, in the mines and also then just said, here, have a pay cut. Yeah, I don't, I'm surprised he didn't punch him sooner. I do not advocate for violence, but that guy's a dick. <laughs> we're not, you know, we're usually not ones to joke about police corruption, but, you know... I can kind of see how this didn't go in his favour. Just the, the policeman being like, now, Mr. Jones, how, how what happened? Oh, he ran into my fist. Sounds good enough. Into the into the cell with you. That, that's just going to be it. Yeah, we all hate you. I don't understand how you're not getting this. To be fair, I don't know how you don't understand that by being uh, an Englishman walking into a Welsh town in this time, you don't understand that there has been a target on your head since day one. Yeah, to further drive in the point that he wasn't welcome, Young's home was broken into and those involved stole his furniture. I mean, that's there comes a point where it's like, you know, you are kicking a man while he's down now. I know we have just said he's a dickhead, but damn. But yeah, he has been physically kicked and also metaphorically kicked. Which, you know, 
bad on both fronts of just being like gets out of the jail cell. It's like, okay, you took my chairs. And, oh, and you t- and you took the cupboards as well. It's like, well, we ain't gonna do a half job, were we? I mean, it's that thing of they probably went, well, you're English, so you probably stole them from someone else in the first place. <laughs> just being like, okay, this was nailed down, and they're like, yeah, that one actually took a bit of effort. It's I, that that would be the point where I went. I'm still annoyed, but I'm now also a little impressed. <laughs> you just like your level of vindictiveness and pettiness is just up there, right there. Sometimes you have to respect the petty, even when you are a victim of the petty. Yeah. People did end up getting arrested for this. Several men who were the ringleaders, Ishmael Jones and John Jones, who are no relation, they're just Welsh, were sentenced to two months of hard labour. Again, Jones is like the smith to the English in Wales. Oh yes, 100%. You cannot throw a stone without hitting a Jones. (laughs) How? Why are all these stones raining? How many of you called Jones? About 20 of us? See, there we go. It's the Jones Stone. <laughs> yeah. So, believing the sentencing would cause a stir amongst the gathered crowd, Chief Constable Flintshire had organised the police and soldiers to be present, and this is soldiers from England, so that probably, you know, made people a little bit, like, not as cheery. So the crowd swelled to approximately 2,000 people. When the two men were led out of the court, the authorities were soon under attack by projectiles. The soldiers fired upon the crowd. Four people killed as a result. 19-year-old Margaret Young husband, who was caught in the crossfire. A domestic servant of Liverpool. She's sadly in the wrong place at the wrong time. Two coal miners, Robert uh, Hannaby and Edward Bellis, perished. Elizabeth Jones was shot in the back and died two days later. A coroner was called in the inquest, though many people questioned the person they called. Now, Peter Perry was described as exceedingly old and infirm, so deaf he needed a hearing trumpet and was partially blind. Oh my god. Yeah, he was assisted in the matter by his brother at the testimo- uh, at his testimony. The jury concluded the details were justified or homicide, which, when I was here reading about this dude, I was just like, it sounds like he's like, ah, first incision, and it's like, Peter, you're cutting into your own leg. Am I? <laughs> Yeah. Yes, we're, we're all really, con- we're all kind of concerned by the fact that you can't feel that. Yeah, I'll just add it onto the list of my problems. No, don't guilt me, because your body's a shit show. It would be, you know, if you weren't just casually taking out organs, which you have mixed up, which, with your sandwich, which I question why you had that near the body. Holding up a heart, going, does he still need this? And everyone else is just looking at the guy on the table who's also looking concerned, being like, how are you still alive? Uh, yeah. <laughs> what do, what have we got here? Ah, young male. Just like this is This is a dog. I don't I don't know how the dog ended up in the morgue, but I'm more concerned the fact you can't see it's a dog. Also still living. Take put the scalpel down. It's like, did you did you just think they were particularly hairy? Yeah, I'll be honest with you, I've seen some weird stuff. How can you see some weird stuff? I can't... I, like, you look so blind. Like, how do you see anything? You mixed up the formaldehyde and your coffee this morning. How are you still alive? How, he died as he lived. A dumbass. <laughs> I, I know it was a thing, but just the concept of the ear trumpet as well just really puts the whole, like, image together. He's like, I can't hear. It's like, aren't you partially deaf? And he's like, no, no, there's something else. And then just like pulls out like a gallbladder or something. It's like, ah, there's the problem. Everyone else is just staring at him like, why was that in your ear? 
<laughs> Why was that in your ear trumpet? How are we, like, still using you as a coroner? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you still our best option? <laughs> there was no other coroners? I'm questioning a lot of the decisions we made to get to this point. So unlike the people who actually killed other people in this scenario, seven men were thought to be key players and the riot were convicted of causing felonious wounding. The sentence was shipped off to a penal colony for ten years with classic indentured servitude. Oh, fun. Now, here are more reasons why specifically the farm might uh, having spooky goings on. And this is me digging around in news archives. I came across an incident that took place in 1925, reported in the Mirror, the Manchester Gazette, and the Daily Mail of the time. And this was me double-checking that this is this area, because obviously... How many places are called Pennyford in Flintshire Mould? Yeah. So John Rowlands was the owner of the farm at the time, 49 years old. He was out ferreting in one of the fields when he was fatally shot. A worker at the farm had seen John approach the house when he appeared to retrace the step to speak to another figure. The worker then heard shots fired. Running towards the sounds of the gunfire, the worker found John Rowlands dead, having been shot three times and the perpetrator fleeing the scene. The police believe that he'd been a victim of a poacher and actually not a roaming G-word. You can guess that one. Ah. William Theodore Brennan, 26, confessed to the murder. He claimed that he brought a gun, hiding the fact that it, hiding this fact from his parents when roaming in the fields of mould. Uh, Brennan had been shooting rabbits, which obviously, you know, on someone else's land is illegal. John Rowlands braided him, approaching his land. Brennan claims that Rowlands attempted to wrestle the gun from him, the two entered a bloody fight where the gun went off. Rowlands apparently continued to try in the fight and Brennan just panicked and shot him a further two times. You weren't great from the get-go, but you do just get worse with time. Yeah, <laughs> it's just one of those things of, should I shoot him again? It's like, probably not. I was like, I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, that was a poor decision on your part. So Brennan was guilty of murder, though his defence did argue he wasn't of sound mind. They tried to plead insanity and Brennan's mother only claimed that her son said wildly violent things of how he wished he could shoot his old family, which sounds fun at the dinner table. Yeah. His father claimed that there were many families who were feeble-minded and his son was just one of them. Oh, fun. Yeah, you know, there's... It, I think at the time, like, being saying the term feeble-minded was just, like, a casual d description to people. So they weren't exactly, you know, more like, eh, maybe there's a little bit more to do with mental health here, guys. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to lie, it's one of those things that gets a little bit eugenic-y as well. Yeah. That's what, I mean, when I was reading that, I was like, yeah, this does. So, you know, even if he did have mental health issues or something like that, he still did kill someone. Yeah, still a dick move, dude. The prison doctor found Brandon sane at the time, uh, well, by at least 1925 standards, and he was sentenced to be detained by His Majesty's Pleasure, which is a better option since this death penalty was still about. Yeah. Now, so this might be reasons behind some spooky happenings, considering a violent death had ha happened on the land. And we're going to go into the case itself. So hopefully everyone liked my brief history lesson of the area. Yeah, much appreciated. So David and Rosemary Gower moved to the house in 1997 with their teenage adopted son. So this house, the person who... So Rowlands, who was shot, was probably living it as well because I think, I believe the house is 17th century. 
so this this one the guy in 1925 who was shot was probably living in this house as well so they moved into the house in 1997 with their teenage adopted son john paul david worked as a headmaster and actually had quite a few phds to his name revolving around science rosemary would stay at home to tutor their son who had down syndrome at the time he might not have had the need to be supported particularly in a small welsh village Originally from England, the family moved to Wales some time ago. The oldest daughter, Nicolette and Andrea, had grown old enough to no longer live with their parents. The events began to unfold when the Gowers returned from a New Year's Eve party when they discovered a word carved into the wall of their home. And I apologise to any Welsh listeners, I did try. Uh, I think it's uh, Tengafed, which translates means peace, which is meant in a very religious context. Yeah. Kind of like, peace be with you. Yeah, things like that. So none of the Gowers knew that much Welsh, particularly sort of like the archaic sort of like form of it as well. Like, this is old Welsh that people don't particularly use anymore. Like, they know the meaning of it, but they don't particularly say it, I don't think. Yeah. And we can assume that they wouldn't carve it into their own home. No, just a bit. And at the time, the Gowers probably put it down to someone pulling a destructive prank because you wouldn't just be like it's a ghost right away yeah no instead you'd be like some wankers come in and vandalized our house which ironically they have put the word peace on on our wall which i'm not feeling particularly peaceful right fucking now just like oh i want to do it but what can i say that's not going to immediately outrage them i know and also not being way native Welsh speakers, them having to go get a translation of it afterwards. It's like, well, a wall's been defaced, but I have no idea what it says. Just an extra added layer of being pissed off. See what it means and just like, you cheeky bastard. So the family believed that things really kicked off when the gravestone on their property was moved. There is no burial on their land, so they weren't exactly walking across a body every day. Anyway, the stone was dedicated to Jane Jones, who died in 1778 at the age of 15. Now, I have been digging on the internet, and a lot of people have called bullshit on the gravestone. For one thing, it doesn't look around 200 years old and has fairly modern writing. I cannot, I am not an an expert in stone masonry. I have just been reading, and also I cannot verify the people who are writing about it are experts in stone masonry. But there has been discussions about it. I will post pictures somewhere. But they do point out that like this in the series the stone the stone which is still bat hasn't been assisted by a an expert which would at least accommodated it and maybe yielded a few more answers so i can understand the criticism of that because it's like well if you can you know carbon date it you can at least tell if it was written or you but at least have two two centuries of age to it yeah so sorry just to reiterate so gravestone but no body slash grave yeah i mean it happens Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. If it's a memorial stone or something, but it just could have been replaced at some point. Yeah. So also, yeah, it could have been replaced at, um, at some point, but also Welsh speakers claim if the gravestone was made at the time of poor Jane's death, the word aged would have been written in Welsh as well. Yeah. So this is a possibility that this is either a dedication stone that was written at some time after her death, and is by context fairly modern but again as i say the criticism of the series is that they don't do much with it as such as carbon dating it yeah so yeah it's the possibility as we've discussed that somebody put it there in the dedication of jane's uh, memory due to the circumstances of her death 
And the records of Jane Jones being born so she did exist is in 1763. Her parents were Morgan and Mary Jones. Apparently Jane had fallen pregnant at the age of 14, which is, you know, extremely taboo. Also, we don't know any of the circumstances of pregnancy. We don't know if this was assault or if this was teenagers going to teenage. But because obviously there is not much on in this regard. No. And, you know, unfortunately, especially in previous years, that's often been a bit of a grey area as well. But of course, it's always the woman's fault. Or the literal child's fault in this case. Yep. Jane sadly passed away during childbirth due to her sinful ways. She was not permitted to be buried on consecrated ground. It is believed her remains are buried somewhere on the land, but no one can be sure where. Grayson had been left alone in its original place along with the Gowers' front garden, but the Gowers were going to use the space for a wedding reception for their daughter Nicolette. Believing guests probably didn't want to see a headstone when celebrating a wedding, they moved it to a more discreet location. Ah. It's just like, welcome to the wedding, please ignore the gravestone. It's an invitation conversation piece. Yeah. It's an icebreaker. Why is there a gravestone in your front yard? Ah. It's a funny and a fairy. Let me tell you the very depressing story of its origins. It's just like, I feel like that would have brought the celebration mood down just a little bit. I mean, you know, it makes you think a lot about till death do us part. Yeah, that's what the newlyweds want to be thinking. It's just them being like, hey, our wedding. This gets brought up and there's just everyone sort of sitting silently at their tables having an existential crisis. It's like, well, maybe we should not have done that. So yeah, to me, they moved it to a more discreet location. The family believed moving the headstone caused the hauntings to arise. Now, Welsh words were being pressed into the walls, hard to reach places, such behind the radiator. This is what was happening. This is, you know, they would be cheerful ones, which I'm going to just say their translations, which are long-suffering or persecution. How do they know they were behind the radiator? If you're, like, going to do something to the radiator, like you're cleaning off the dust or you're going to bleed the radiator, then maybe that's when they found it. I guess. I just think it'd be like, I, I mean, admittedly, I'm very much thinking of modern radiators, which do, they do try and have pressed quite close to the walls. Yeah, it's really hard, you know, get anything behind the radiator. It's like, yes, including seeing it. I think having looked at the pictures of the radiators and things, I think it's a bit separated from the wall, in a, particularly in a 17th century house. Fair enough. But that's a nice one, particularly when you're just like, oh, now I've got to get the, tra- the Welsh translation book and being like, oh, Cheerful. I kind of miss just the word peace. Uh, Rosemary claimed to have seen an apparition of a heavenly pregnant young girl appear in the patio and then vanished. She believed it to be Jane's restless spirit, though Rosemary does claim to be a sceptic on the matter. So this is somebody who I doubt a heavily pregnant young woman would be wandering around in a very isolated spot and then be able to yeet it away without being seen. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand why the kid might be annoyed. Yeah. I mean, it's a gravestone, but where's the body? Like, that is the horrifying element of it, of the worst game of, like, you know, battleships everywhere. It's like, there is a very good chance that there is a body somewhere on this patch of land. Yeah. We do not know where. And again, records does indicate this person existed, so... Yeah. At times, Rosemary would have unexplainable things which divide her rational logic... Documenting the outgoings on in the 90s, Rosemary was disturbed at one particular incident... When disposing of some old flowers, she dropped the petals all across the house because when they're wilting, they're just like, freedom. At placing the flowers on the counter, she was distracted by someone knocking at the door. Gone barely a minute. She returned to find 
dead or almost dead wasps with no petals to be seen. So where the petals had been fallen, just these dead wasps were there. I mean, at least the wasps are dead. <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to deal with live wasps. Yes. It's just like one of those things of, okay, this is very, very creepy, but I would rather be dealing with the dead wasp than a live wasp because those are they are little bastards. So Rosemary doesn't have an explanation because she was like, well, there wasn't a hive nearby and also the windows and the doors were closed, particularly for that number of just randomly dead wasps to suddenly appear. Hmm. So Dr. Daniels was present around November 2000 when hearing of the case and actually went to the farm at Rosemary's request. She was hoping, again, Dr. Daniels is a psychologist, so she was hoping that he would be like, oh, here's the rational explanation, and she'd be like, great, thank you. I'm just... It's one of those things where it's like, I'm not sure I'd be comforted by the concept of it's all somehow in your head. I think to have somebody who's one, a professional and not attached to it. Yeah. Who's a third party coming in might be a little bit more comforting. I guess. Because then if you're like, oh no, it's just a gas leak. It's like, well, we better fucking leave. Yeah. So armed with top technology of the 2000s, he used a camcorder and cassette recorder to document his experience. So he came across the writing on the walls, puzzled that they seemingly would disappear without a trace, and Doc Daniels is still unsure about the case to this day. I was going to say, that's probably kind of the approach you have to take. I do respect people who do try and who go, I do not have a fucking clue. Yeah, it wasn't him outright going, no, but it was him just being like, I honestly, once I find the rational explanation, but, uh, but at least admitting I don't have one at the moment. Yeah. So a ghostly apparition of a monk began appearing around the home. Seeing it briefly move through the house, it appeared on, you know, as stains on walls or just a shadowy figure. Just, you know, fulfilling just, you know, just random places. There was uh, members of the family waking up unnerved by an unseen present, which they believed to be the mysterious monk. A medium, which I say in quotation marks, visited the home and claimed she knew why the monk was there. The monk had been apparently murdered by a soldier in 1613 by the riverbank near the home. However, this is hard to track down as a fact and could just be the medium waffling shit. I have actually put that in my script as well. There is a very good chance of that, very bluntly. Because I was just like, well, you can't really verify it. You can't just be, yeah, this happened. It's like, okay, well, better look into that. And I was like, oh, conveniently, there's no proof. But then they she could call and be like well the reformation and it's just like uh fuck but yeah i'm very skeptical of it in any case yeah of course so north wales daily post released an article in august 25th 2006 titled this takes the biscuit when rosemary was used to seeing strange going on in her home it was at the point of just dealing with it but the article details how she was going to be eating some garibaldi biscuits to find a strange image pressed into it According to Rosemary, it was the monk complete with a cross. Now, reportedly, there is a photo taking of this holy biscuit, but I can't find it anywhere. And I assume the di- digital archive didn't upload it. Yeah. Yeah, so having brought the... Like, they went and talked to the local ke- uh, the local Tesco's as if they had any hand in it. And I will... You, you're not going to like this this quote. They you oh, we, no. <laughs> we usually sell a lot of hot cross buns... But this really takes the biscuit. You good there? I'm refusing to acknowledge it. <laughs> so this is also like if it is I I think it was just like, you know, 
a burnt bit of biscuit, but it also might be implying that somebody at the biscuit factory is playing silly beggars and just doodling on a biscuit in there for spare time. I'm not going to lie, I'm desperately trying to research around for some kind of bakery-related pun, but I'm struggling. I just like the idea of this person who occasionally messes with people with their packets of biscuits and being like, and here's an image of Homer Simpson, and here's an image of a monk. It's like, Glenn, you have to stop doing this. If nothing else, you are slowing down production so goddamn much. But don't they look fun? Yeah, but you're going to freak people out. You're the reason why people keep going to the newspapers about this. So seeing images on food isn't a rare occurrence, though apparently they do favour toast more over everything. The Guardian even wrote an article about, about this in 2011 where the phenomena is referred to as uh, pareidolia, I think it's pronounced. Okay. So, you know, when people are like, here's this bit of toast, look, Jesus is on it. And you're just like, that's just a burnt bit of toast in a certain shape. Like, I can see why you're seeing Jesus, but I don't think Jesus was like, you know what I need to be on today? Bit of toast. No, because it's like, you know, in the Bible where they describe Jesus like appearing and he's like bathed in light and stuff. And that's like a really big show in production. But he's like, maybe I'll tone it down a bit and just like, you know what, we'll do it bit of bread people will get my point yeah they'll definitely not think that this is just some weirdo with a toaster <laughs> so yeah i mean it's like when you you see images and clouds and things yeah kind of like you've already said there's like we make patterns yeah so i think because rosemary's been experiencing this stuff she's seeing the pattern in the biscuit because honestly i think it might have just been a bit of burnt, burnt biscuit but this is also at the time where everyone is aware that the shit is also going on in the area. Yeah. Now, Rosemary would hear muffled voices in another room, thinking it was maybe John was talking on the phone, and this is when we had household phones that you didn't weren't attached to a wire either, which obviously we now have mobile phones. Actually, mobile phones might have been around at that point, depending on what, but if this was going on from the 90s to the early 2006. Remember those times when you had a landline? Oh, don't. Oh, I was having a conversation with someone recently, actually, where I was saying about the way that, like, our childhoods were really weird because I was, like, from basically the age of five to the age of 14, I went from, like, a Walkman to a CD player to an iPod. Yeah, it moved very fast for us. So fucking fast. I, I just, gen- and nowadays, genuinely, like, I could probably live, I could probably stand to spend less time on my phone, but just, like, you know, the amount of times that I'm, like, how the fuck did we survive without these? I would be, like, I'd have just disappeared somewhere into London and been never found again if I did not have maps on my phone. Yeah, no, the amount of times that maps have saved my ass. What did we do in the days where, like, once you left the house, you couldn't contact anyone? So if someone just didn't rock up, you just had to go home and be like, well, hope they're not dead. Yeah, pretty much, I think. So, yeah, Rose would go into, Rosemary would go into these rooms and then there would be no one there and the conversation would suddenly obviously stop as soon as she entered the room and what do you do when you hear creepy children doing a creepy little song in the area gtfo yep but this is reportedly you know was hearing the full horror movie experience of creepy child singing uh which they were like yeah we're still stay that's fine i would have been like i'm out layers i mean I, I think my immediate response wouldn't be ghosts. It would be someone's being silly buggers. But that is also partly because there is a woman on TikTok whose literally entire content is her singing creepily on stairways so that it echoes and freaks out her neighbours. 
It's also, yeah, it's also one of those things where they're just like, ah, oh, it's the ghost children again. It's like, dear, it's Christmas and it's the carolers outside. <laughs> well, they should stop doing it creepily. Admittedly, that is pretty a uh, creepy rendition of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's like, oh no, they're cracking out Carol of the Bells. Oh no, that's supposed to just be sinister. <laughs> no! No, it starts like at the beginning of a murder mystery for Santa to solve. It, it is one of those ones that gets very constantly used. To, it's getting intense, fucked we're here. It is one of those very intense. Yeah, in case anyone's doubting, that's actually m- one of my favourite ever um, like um, Christmas carols, which probably tells you a lot about me. But it is one of those ones that just like, you know, gets fucking intense. It does. It is one of those ones that just escalates, escalates. And then it just really peters out at the end and you're like, okay. So shadowy figures were being seen during the day, but also during night sightings. Again, if your brain is already on the alert, alert for shapes, it might get worse during night since visibility alone. And half-awake brains can form figures. We have established this in previous episodes. Eventually, Rosemary and John left the farm in 2002 to return to Eastbourne for John's work. One of the daughters, Nicolette, apparently just moved into the house because you're not going to give up good real estate, even if it is haunted. <laughs> So she moved in there with her husband Ewan and son Quinn. The family would be sitting around watching TV when latch on the door would suddenly be lifted and then before going down again. And Quinn's name appeared on the wall and vanished, which unnerved his parents. Which fair. I would have fucking left at that point as well. I was just like, okay, it's one thing writing weird Welsh words, but actually writing my child's name. Yeah, yeah, that's like, no, no, that's the straw, the straw that breaks the cow's back. Yeah. So Ewing claimed that the family's wooden owl ornament, which I've seen pictures of this thing and it's an absolute chungus, go walk about snowing home and since it's a heavy job object, he didn't think someone was doing it to play tricks on them because that is a lot of dedication. Uh, eventually the family would sell the farm and not return. When questioned on whether it was a hoax, the family denied it. I think some people thought we were doing it to make money out of it. Well, I assume we, uh, I assure you we weren't. Rosemary was quoted in the documentary. Now, speculating if it could be any of the other family members, this was also shut down. John Paul had Down syndrome and learning difficulties, which meant he was rarely out of Rosemary's sight and she probably wasn't going, you know, what's a fun idea, son? In turn, she denied defacing her own home and Nicolette doesn't believe her siblings or parents would dedicate their time to keeping up the hoax when she lived there, particularly since her parents had relocated to Eastbourne at this point. And Rosemary would quite happily believe someone was playing silly beggars if if human beings were behind the incidents. And it does, because that does sound exhausting, you running, particularly as running around this big old uh, farmhouse just to freak somebody out. And you're just like, oh, God, don't need to go to the gym after this. Mm. Uh, Apparently, Hollywood came calling at one point when they heard about the farm. They offered money for the story, but Rosemary wasn't best pleased what they had in mind. Quote, they were going to make up a load of stuff based on on a true story and it was going to be ridiculous. I would not have sanctioned that. You either have a true story or you don't have it at all. That's such a mum thing. Which fair. Just like, do it right or don't do it. Like, she may as well have said, I'm not angry. Yeah, I'm just disappointed. So the article archive I used to research the case actually had other articles from the family members, which showed that they were just getting on with things while this supposed haunted stuff was happening. 
It was, you know, write your thoughts to the newspaper before you could do it on social media. In 1999, the adopted son, John John Paul, wrote to the Times Educational Supplement at the age of 14, titled, Down Syndrome Isn't That Is Not So Horrible. John Paul writes about his experience as a person with Down Syndrome, which is still mis- was still misunderstood in 1999, and has only really seen some improvement in recent years. In 2003, Rosemary wrote to the Times Educational Supplement as well, with the title... Molly coddled. Apparently, she was mad at schools for trying to ban the game of Conkers. Oh my god. Yeah, I think Conkers is really a UK, it was sort of like the British Isles thing. I don't know if anyone else outside of the UK does, or the British Isles does Conkers, which is just getting a Conker from a Conker tree, drilling a hole through it, putting on a piece of string, and then trying to beat the shit out of your mate's Conker. And if they're bro- there's broke, then you won. Yeah. Genuinely, I don't think I ever met anyone who's actually played Conkers. I played Conkers, but we were very starved children <laughs> for entertainment. Fair enough. Also, we lived in a very small town with a lot of Conker trees, so kids just used to fucking collect that stuff up. But we did get to the point where we had to wear safety glasses, and I think that is actually a good thing. I think that, because if you get a piece of Conker in your eye, that is not going to be nice. No. Yeah, so I'll go say, because like, safety goes, yeah. It's not even modern coddling. That's just preventing an accident. <laughs> like you can go into a game of Conkers expecting to maybe be twatted across the knuckles, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean you have to be careful because obviously there's the spikes on like the shell that you have to get a Conker out of. Yeah, you... <laughs> if someone had turned up with that, you would have just been like, "Okay, Stephen, you are just taking the piss now." Just like fuck off. <laughs> You're supposed to take it out of the spiky shell. Also, because of how the shell is, they're quite rubbery, so don't know how effective it would have been at shattering another conquer. Anyway, the current owners of the home don't believe in the hauntings. They lived there for 10 years and haven't heard anything from the ghost girl or the monk. They believe everything that happened could be explained away. However, we once again fall into the same old issue as previous hauntings. We weren't there, therefore we don't know. Except for the Winchester house, I still maintain that was, you know, some grift made up by the dude who brought it. Yeah. So were the events of Penniford Farm real, or did hysteria and self-delusion play into it? I mean... The documentary shows some video evidence of... I've said this in quotations. It's Dr. Daniel's archive footage where supposedly freaky things are happening, but again, it's one of those things of just like, yeah, on court and tape, it does seem a bit freaky, but this is happening in 2000, so... And in an old house... And I think some stuff can just get explained away. Yeah, even yeah, even if it's not an outright hope. Some again, it kind of comes all the way back to what we were saying at the very beginning of if you're there looking for something, you're going to find it, even if it's actually not there. Also, at this point, it's been building in the family's mind. Like John, the dad and the husband, who was very much like, I'm sure there's a rational explanation behind this. But obviously, it is something that's playing in your mind, so you might start seeing things out the corner of your eyes more and stuff like that it is suddenly your brain is looking for something yeah exactly i don't again i'm going to give the very unsatisfying answer of i don't know because i wasn't there once again we find ourselves with our asses perched firmly upon the fence because of how matter-of-factly rosemary is about everything i am just like i am inclined to believe that she isn't somebody who's just going to be like you know what's fun to do this while I'm a very busy woman. Yeah. And her husband, who is a headmaster, also a very busy man, 
just being like, you know what's for a laugh? Let's just do that. Yeah. Can you imagine they're just sitting next to each other like, you know, one evening and then one of them goes, do you know what would be fun? If we completely staged an entire load of bullshit and then insisted for years and years and years that it was real. Oh, I was thinking the exact same thing. This is why we make it such a great couple. So happy we're married. (laughs) Now let's go and invent some ghost bullshit. Yes, it can be our bonding activity for the week. Again, I am of the, I believe, Rosemary saw what she saw, but again, I was not there, so I'm not going to be... No, this is stupid. Because of how, sort of, like, she is very upfront and very... Again, matter-of-factly, as I've said about this. Yeah, I think we, we're once again taking that kind... It's one of those things that I'd hate it if someone said it to me, to my face, but we believe that she believes it. Yeah, I, it was one of those things where I was just like, I hate it, but at the same time, I also don't want to say to your face, now nah, that's bullshit. Exactly. But also, I'm not also going to say to your face, oh, I believe everything. Yes, exactly. A compromise. <laughs> there we go, here's the compromise that we have. Yeah, no, absolutely, just 100%. Like, if you were here for committal, we're not the people for you. Yeah, we are, I, I don't know, man, could be. I mean, actually, apart from, again, as I say, Winchester House, we're pretty much like, nah, that's bullshit, we don't think it's haunted. I think that is, like, the first one where we've been like, nah, bullshit, mate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's interesting also because there's been ones we disagree on because I've definitely got stronger feelings on the Enfield House than you do. Yeah, I think you do. I think I mean having read like I think probably about two books on the matter by separate authors that one muddies it a little bit more for me. That's absolutely fair enough. You probably are the most the more informed of the two of us, so honestly fair. Yeah. On this case, inconclusive once again. <laughs> but I suppose with that being said, if you like what we do, please consider giving us a five-star review, giving us a nice little you know being like, "Oh, I like this when you do this and stuff." or sharing us on any of the socials that you may be on, or just think, you know, word of mouth to your friends or something. Everything about uh, where you can find us is in the link below. And if you have any cases or personal experiences that you'd like to share with us, just throw it into our inbox. Yeah, absolutely. We'd love to hear from you. So I suppose with that being said, bye-boo. Bye-boo.